The following message was recorded at Fountain of Life Fellowship in Fountain Valley, California. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com. First of all, happy Father's Day to all the, all the men in the house and the men in our church. We love you. We're so thankful for you. Uh, we're glad you are a part of our lives. Thankful for the men of this church. Um, but let's look at God's word for this morning. We're gonna finish up our study through 1 John. Turn to 1 John chapter five. We'll be looking at verses 13 all the way to the end to 21. So 1 John chapter five, 13 to 21. We remember that 1 John is a letter about assurance that believers in Christ can have, this deep confidence that we know God, that he knows us and that we're his. So again, it's 1 John chapter five. We'll be looking at verses 13 to 21. This is God's word. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. As we come before you this morning on Father's Day, uh, we wanna thank you for um, the fathers in our lives. I thank you for my father. I love him, I'm so thankful for him and what he means to my life. And I thank you for the faithful men at Fountain of Life and the way they love and serve others. Lord, uh, we also grieve today. We pray for those who have lost their fathers and are missing them. We pray for those um, whose experience with their father was painful. Lord, we pray for your comfort. And ultimately, Lord, for each one of us, we wanna come and remember and see how wonderful a father you are to us in Christ and what you've given us in him. So I pray, Lord, now for help as we look at your word. I pray that the Holy Spirit would preach a better sermon than I can through me, Lord, and that you'd help me to teach this passage faithfully, that everyone who listens, Lord, would be drawn to Christ, would trust in him, and would live out of the eternal life that he alone can give. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we are finishing our study through 1 John. And I was thinking as, as I was preparing, we began 1 John on February 23rd. And today is June 21st. We had no idea what was coming, did we? We had no idea. So much crisis, so much polarization, so much loss and uncertainty. 
And I've been deeply thankful for the truth of this letter. It's like an anchor in the storm for me. In the midst of crisis, the truth of this letter is foundation. In the midst of polarization, the truth of this letter is our unity. In the midst of loss, the truth of this letter is our hope. And in the midst of so much uncertainty, the truth of this letter is our confidence. And we've seen uh, the heart of this letter expressed in the first verse of our text this morning. We saw 1 John 5, 13. John says, I write these things to you, believe in the name of Son of God, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, that knowing, that assurance, that confidence that we belong to God and he is ours. So again, John is saying, isn't he? If you trust yourself to the real Jesus, the Jesus portrayed in the gospels, if you trust yourself to the real Jesus, the Jesus has been shown to be the eternal son of God, the Jesus who came according to the promises of the scriptures, became human, lived a perfect life, died on the cross for sins, rose from the dead in victory. If you believe in the name of the son of God, you can know you can know that you have eternal life, a true relationship with the true God. That's the theme of this letter, isn't it? Over 39 times, John has used a word referring to our certainty, referring to our knowledge of what is true. Christians are meant to have assurance and the confidence that comes from it. So as we finish this letter, I wanna see two main things with you. First, confidences that come from knowing you have eternal life. Confidences that come from knowing you have eternal life. And second, ways to live in light of those confidences. So you could say basically confidence from eternal life that gives confidence for living life. So three confidences from eternal life, three confidences for living life. But first, let's just ponder for a brief moment, the reality of eternal life. Eternal life is so much more than duration, isn't it? I would hope so. Do any of you want to live in a nursing home forever? Nobody wants that. Um, Living forever is only so good as the quality of life one has during forever. And of course, when we, have etern- when we have eternal life, we're talking about fellowship, friendship, a relationship of love and sharing with the good and beautiful triune God, creator of heaven and earth. He has brought us near to himself as his children, and we have the first fruits of that now, and we will have the full inheritance of it forever. I'm reminded of Psalm 65, verse four. It just, to me, gives the flavor of this. Psalm 65, verse four, the psalmist writes, blessed is the one you choose, you, O God. The blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be, what? Satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Oh, we're so blessed, we're so favored to be brought near to our God, to be satisfied in him and his goodness. That's the flavor of eternal life. And we know that when we have this kind of a relationship with the Lord, we have many, many other good things that come from this. 
a simple illustration in my life is you all are my friends and you've been there for me over the years in so many ways. I have um, confidence in the nature of my relationship with you and I hope you feel that way about me. We, we know we're friends and so there's, um, you're there for me in times of need. I'm there for you. We, we help one another out. We strengthen one another. We are resources for one another. And that seems to me to be kind of the spirit of this section in 1 John. This confidence that we have eternal life from God leads us to these other confidences. We know he's there for us in these ways and we can rely on him. So there's three things John seems to emphasize in this text. Three confidences that come from knowing this kind of relationship we have with God. Number one, confidence for prayer. Number two, confidence in protection. And number three, the confidence of possession. Prayer, protection, possession. So as we look through each one of these, we wanna remember this confidence we have from eternal life and then also see how that gives us confidence for living life. So here's the first confidence we have from eternal life. Confidence in prayer. 1 John 5, 14, this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. First of all, it's just this wonderful phrase, confidence towards him. This is the idea of being in his presence. The idea of being welcome um, before the face of God. You realize this isn't something that um, we're just entitled to on our own. It's not something that just everyone has. God is holy. And uh, rebellious sinners don't just march into his presence with acceptance. Something has to be done to accomplish that. And we know that Jesus is the one who, through his perfection, his life, his death atoning for our sins, his resurrection, he's our advocate and he brings us near to the Father so that through him we have confidence towards him. If you have any fear of God at all, the idea of being in his face should make you tremble. And then to say that we have confidence to come before him is an overwhelming treasure, isn't it? To come to be in his presence, we have confidence towards him. We can ask anything according to his will. John has told us, and we know we have eternal life. We have it now, but we don't have it yet in fullness, do we? And right now we have many, many needs. Take a moment and ponder your needs. Do you have needs of the heart? I do. Needs of the mind? Relational needs? Wisdom needs? Circumstantial needs? needs for our world at large. We have so many needs. And look at this great invitation that you have because of the eternal life you have in Christ. The Father in heaven is saying to you, have confidence to come right into my, my living room and ask anything. Ask, ask. And the promise here is, if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. He hears us, and that, that, 
that idea of him hearing us, it's so much more than just saying, yeah, God has all knowledge and he hears and knows everything. That, that's, that's not what this means. What it means is that he listens to you and is inclined to you. He is, he is prone towards you. He desires to act on your behalf. And he gives this confident guarantee of answered prayer. It's such an incredible invitation to be confident and to ask our Father for things according to his will. So some might, you know, wonder here. So is this just like a blank check for a lottery ticket? Uh, Give me lots of money. I want you to test your desires here in the midst of this invitation. What do you really want? And what should you really want? If you could be explicitly with God, experientially, kind of look him into the eyes, so to speak, if you were in his presence, what would you really want to ask for? I think if I was experiencing God like that, I'd be embarrassed to ask for some of the things I've asked for. I'd be ashamed. Imagine looking God in the face and saying, I want a million dollars so that I can have a sense of security apart from you. I wouldn't want to ask that. You see the importance of what John is saying here. We want to ask anything according to his will. Imagine my son uh, comes, comes into my office and says, Dad, I, I have a request, and I'm, I'm going to welcome him in. I love to have my son in my presence. And what if he says, Dad, I want you to fund my new chewing tobacco habit. I love him. I want to be with him, and I'm prone towards him, but that's not really according to my goodwill for his life. But thankfully, my son wouldn't ask for that anyway. I'm happy to say my son and I tend to share a common view towards what is good at this point. He's, he's not gonna ask me for this. He doesn't want it either. And that's just a small illustration to give us the idea that when we come into our Father's presence, part of what we want is to want what he wants, is to love what he loves, it's to desire things according to his character, according to his word. And so we want to ask according to his will, don't we? Christian, do you really want anything your Father in heaven doesn't want ultimately? Do you want to want that? How perfect is his will? How holy and beautiful is he? How wise is he in comparison to you? Let's want what he wants. And as we grow in that, look at verse 15. We know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, and we know that we have the requests we have asked of him. As we come to him boldly, praying for things according to his will, we know he hears, we know he answers, we know he asks. What an amazing promise this is. And this is a confidence you have from knowing you have eternal life. Have you paused to stop and remember the good things you've asked for that God has come through on? Could you make a long list if you thought about it, if you worked at it? He does answer according to his will. Now, we don't always know the details of his will. Sometimes we have, we're left with praying, your will be done. 
And sometimes we're praying things according to his will, and it seems like it is from our perspective. Other times, we're praying just in the streamline of who God is. We have to wait. But look at this promise. He invites you to come boldly and to ask, and he promises that he hears. This is the point, right, John is making. We have confidence in prayer. Now let's get to these next verses, 16 to 17, and we get um, kind of a strange illustration here. You get the idea of if anyone sees his brother committing a sin, not leading to death, he shall ask, God will give him life. To those who commit sins that don't lead to death, there is a sin that leads to death. I don't say one should pray for that. What is, what is John talking about here? Well, let's remember his, his first point is you have confidence in prayer because you know you have eternal life. And if you ask according to his will, he hears you. So come pray, he's gonna answer, right? That's the idea. Confidence in prayer. So now John gives an illustration of confidence in prayer. He says, say you see a brother or sister, verse 16, committing sin. So you've got this visible flaw in their character, this visible problem in their behavior. You see this. What should you do, first of all, by the way? Judge them. <laughs> no, do, do you see John's emphasis here? What's the first thing we should do when we see Christians committing sin? What, what should we do for them? We should pray. It's the first thing to do. We pray for them. We pray for our brothers and sisters. And look at this promise. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask, and God will give him life. That's a promise. As you pray for your brothers and sisters, God will answer those prayers that are according to his will for his people. He will at some point bring them to repentance. He will at some point restore them. He will hold them to the end. He will be faithful to his people. God will answer. So you see how it's an illustration of confidence in prayer due to the knowledge we have eternal life. But then there's this caveat, I guess, about sins that don't lead to death and sins that do. He says, there is sin that leads to death. I don't say that one should pray for that. Well, what, so what does that mean? Um, what is a sin that leads to death or not? I mean, in a way, right, and this is biblical, um, all sins lead to death in some, in some way, right? I, if I gossip about you, I've brought a certain kind of death, a relational death. I've brought a death to our peace, to our fellowship. All sins bring death. And, and John believes that. He says, all wrongdoing is sin. But in another way, all sins don't lead to death in the same way. For instance, what are you believing Jesus has done for your sins? He's atoned for those, right? He's taken care of those. Your sins are not ultimately going to lead to your death. Oh no, he has paved the way. 1 John 1, 8 to 9. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I think that understanding helps us start to realize what the sin that leads to death is. And the context of this letter helps as well. You remember John is dealing with a group of people who 
were changing the message about Jesus and who he is. They were changing the message of his cross. And in the end, they left these churches. This is really the scenario that caused the writing of this letter. And John has said things like this many times throughout the letter, 1 John 5, 12. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have what? Life. If you have the Son of God, your sins won't ultimately lead to death. If you don't have the Son of God, you do not have eternal life. And so what's the sin that leads to death? I think in context, it's people who have heard the gospel and then rejected it. They've heard who Jesus is. They've heard what he's done and they've said no. They've rejected him. They've rejected the truth of his gospel. And so John is saying, we can't pray for them with the same confidence. Notice he doesn't say, don't pray for them. It's not what he says. He says, you can't have the same confidence praying for them as you do for your brother and sister. And here's the reason. We don't know that it's God's ultimate will that they'll be saved. We don't have the same confidence in praying according to his will as we do for those who are in Christ. So ultimately this serves as an illustration of confidence in prayer. And that is that first confidence from knowing we have eternal life. We have confidence as we, that we can come boldly to our Father and pray for things according to his will and he will act. So that's confidence from eternal life. Where does this take us as far as living life? I mean, if God writes you an invitation like this, come, to, come be in my face and ask me for things according to my will. I'll hear you and act. What should we then do? Pray. I'm kind of embarrassed by this text myself. Um, it's such a generous offer from God and, and it makes the amount of my prayer look so minuscule and the passion of my prayer look pathetic. I should be praying. I should be praying more according to his will. Remember James 4, 2. James writes, you do not have because you do not ask. We could just stop there for a moment. Isn't there more we could be presenting to our Father and looking to his generosity for? He writes us this invitation to pray and, and in our minds we're too busy or in our hearts it doesn't really do anything. What's your attitude towards prayer? When's the last time you spent maybe 30 whole minutes praying and took advantage of God's invitation? Moreover, James 4, 3, you ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Why are we asking for what we're asking for? Is it simply for comfort? Is it for praise? Is it for God's glory according to his will? But the application of this confidence in prayer is to pray and pray more. Let's be praying. And remember John's first illustration about confidence in prayer was praying for one another. Don't we need one another's prayers right now?
Doesn't the church at large need our prayers right now? Pray, pray. And before you do anything else, pray for one another. Pray for God's people. He will answer according to his will. Second confidence we have from knowing we have eternal life. We see this in verse 18. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. This is what I'm calling confidence in Christ's protection. Let's unpack this just a little bit. Remember what it means to be born again. What does it mean to be born again? It's that deep fundamental transformation that comes with conversion, right? It's a new view of Jesus where you see who he is freshly. You see the light of his glory and the gospel that used to be boring to you is now everything to you. You see him from his word and you want him. You trust yourself to him. You're filled with a new set of desires that come from knowing him. These assurances that John has been talking about, these tests, uh, we confess our sins. We grow in loving God by obeying his word. We love our brothers and sisters because we trust Christ. We're his children. We've been transformed. We're born of God. That's what it means to be a Christian, to trust Jesus and be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Then John says, whoever's been born of God does not keep on sinning. Now, first, this is a terrifying verse. Why is it terrifying? Because you don't know anyone like that. <laughs> if you think of it literally or in a wooden way, as if, if you think of it as perfection, as soon as someone trusts Jesus, they never sin again. You're thinking, oh my gosh, that's impossible. I don't, I don't do this. I don't know anybody who does this. Well, what does this mean? Is that what John means? Christians don't keep on sinning in the sense that they never sin again? Well, of course not. Of course not. If you read the context of the letter, he has said over and again, if you claim to be without sin, you're a liar and the truth's not in you. Right? He knows we sin. He's not talking about perfectionism. He's talking about practice practice. He's talking about your lifestyle. He's talking about what you're after. He's talking about your trajectory. He's talking about what you're moving towards, what you're pursuing, what you want. So everyone who's born of God, we're not going to keep celebrating and practicing the same sins. We're not. We're going to be moving away from our sin and moving toward God's holiness Again, this doesn't mean there aren't pockets of really hard times or dark times. But if you're God's child, you're not gonna stay there. You'll repent of your sin. You'll move towards Christ as far as the general of your tra trajectory of your life goes. We know that everyone who's born of God does not keep on sinning. Why is it though? Why can John say this with such confidence? How does he know that he knows that those who are born again will be sanctified? and made to look more like Jesus. And he says this like it's a matter of fact, like it's as good as done, and he believes that it is. Why? We know that everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning because, I guess, imagine what he might have said, because Christians are so righteous and, and strong. No. Look what, he, look what his confidence is. Everyone who's been born of God does not keep on sinning, but he who was born of God or who was begotten of God 
protects him and the evil one does not touch him. This is amazing. This is amazing. The reason Christians keep growing, those who are born again keep changing is because Jesus Christ protects you. That's why. He's protecting you. I I can't think of a more wonderful idea than uh, having the ultimate big brother in the playground, right? Um, If the bully comes, no one can take on your big brother. He's too strong. He's too mighty. And Christian, who's your big brother? The one who was begotten of God, the eternal son of God, who who came and took on flesh for you to win you through his perfect life, his death, his resurrection. He protects you. He keeps you. He has made it his mission to never lose you. Jesus says this explicitly in the Gospel of John. All who come to me, I'll raise them up. No one can take them out of my hand. He protects us. He keeps us. Look at this. To the point where the evil one cannot touch you. Can he tempt you? Sure. Sure. Are there difficulties? Are there trials? Are there struggles? Sure. But ultimately, to whom do you belong? You belong to Jesus. You belong to Jesus. So do you see this wonderful confidence we have from knowing we have eternal life? We have a confidence that Jesus protects us and keeps us. And the evil one cannot have us. He cannot win us. Christ stands against him. He stands against him on our behalf. He's overcome Satan's condemnation of us. You feel Satan's condemnation? You're not good enough. You failed again. You can't make it. Jesus stands against that. You've been made righteous in him by grace through faith. And you have the power of his Holy Spirit to keep pursuing him and growing in him. This is amazing. We are protected. That's our confidence. So if that's our confidence from eternal life, what's our confidence for living life? Jesus protects you. That's what John is saying. And what's the, what's the, practical, uh, the practical exercise of this protection? No one born of God keeps on, what was it? Sinning. So then what do you think your um, practical application of this truth would be? What's Jesus' will for your life? In one way, it's simple. Stop sinning, <laughs> right? Stop sinning. Have you seen uh, the bump, you know, bumper sticker Christianity? There's grains of truth in it sometimes. You've seen let go and let God, anyone? Okay, let go and let God. There are parts of life where that's probably appropriate. Uh, There are things in this world and this culture uh, you're not in control of. There's no point in wearing the responsibility of things you have no power to change. Trust God and his sovereignty, fine. But do not do that when it comes to your sin. Colossians 3, 5. What does Paul say about Christians and their sin? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetous, which is idolatry. In a way, you should be a sin hunter, please, not for everybody else, but in your own life. And what should you do when you find it? Kill it. 
put it to death. And this is Jesus' protection of you occurring in your life. Paul wrote this way in Philippians chapter two, Philippians 2.12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it's God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's God working in you as you work to kill your sin and be more like Jesus. So the confidence we have from knowing we have eternal life is that Jesus protects us. And then the confidence for living life is fight your sin. Work to love what your father loves and to be like his son in how you live. So we've seen confidence in prayer, confidence in protection. This third one now, confidence in possession. Confidence in possession. Verse 19 to 21, we know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. And we are in him who is true in his son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. It's just a picture of our story, isn't it? We were in the world in the power of the evil one. We were deceived regarding God, regarding ourselves. We were, as Ephesians 2 says, by nature, enemies of God. But look what Jesus did. The son of God has come and given us understanding. And why did he do that? So that we may know him who is true. You see what Jesus did. I mean, the gift that he would come to reveal himself to us. We were in the power of the evil one, deserving nothing but judgment and wrath. And in his grace, he has come to possess us for himself, to win us for himself so that we might know him. He's revealed himself to us in our minds and our hearts according to the gospel. We have the true knowledge of who he is. And then look at what it says here in the end part of verse 20. John says, we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. It's an amazing thing to know, to deeply know relationally. What does it mean to be in? We don't always talk that way about our relationships. It's almost a strange way to be in Christ, to be covered by him, surrounded by him, intimately connected to him. But think of the illustrations the scriptures give us about the relationship between God's people and the Lord Jesus. Can you think of any? We are the body of Christ. What a sense of connection. Or we are the bride of Christ, been made one with him. This deep closeness that's hard to even unpack with language. But the idea, that's why I use the word possession, he possesses us for himself and we possess him as our Lord and our King. He's ours, we are his. It's God's promise from the Old Testament. I will be your God, you will be my people. We are to have confidence in the possession that Jesus has of us and we of him. And what a privilege this is Look at this incredible statement, end of verse 20. We are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. 
And then John says, he is the true God and eternal life. Here you have one of the most clear and pristine statements about the divinity of Jesus Christ in all the New Testament. He just said, Jesus is the true God and eternal life. Notice he doesn't just give eternal life, he does. He is eternal life. To know him is to have eternal life. And friends, if we're Christians, we are in him. We are in him, he who is the true God, he who is eternal life. Ponder this possession we have. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest confidence to know and have Jesus. This is our confidence from eternal life, confidence in prayer, confidence in protection, confidence in possession. We belong to him. What's the confidence for living life if we know we've found the true God and are in Jesus Christ? Well, John finishes it with this. John 5, verse 21, what's he saying? This is the application. Little children, he writes, keep yourselves from idols. Keep yourselves from idols. You know he's talking to Christians, right? He's talking to Christians he loves. He's giving them assurance. And he gives them still this warning. Keep yourselves from idols. That tells you something. What are Christians still somewhat vulnerable to in their thinking, feeling, and living? Functional idolatry. And John loves these churches and he's confident in them. And still he says, keep yourselves from idols, which means each one of us should take a dose of humility here for a moment and realize there's not a one of us who's immune from this temptation. There's no one who's reached such levels of maturity that they don't have to sweat this anymore. No, keep yourselves. It's the idea of being awake and being guarded and watching out. Keep yourselves from idols. And this is the application of the confidence that we found the true God, the Lord Jesus. So what does this mean? Well, I doubt any of you are tempted to go bow before your silver statue this afternoon. That's not the kind of idolatry you're tempted by, most likely. Remember what idolatry is. It's putting your ultimate meaning on something other than Jesus and who he is and what he's done. It's putting your ultimate hope in something other than Jesus and what he's done. It's putting your standard for unity with other Christians on something other than Jesus and what he's done. It's finding your moral authority from something other than Jesus and what he's done. It's making anything that isn't God and giving it the role of God-like nature in your mind and your heart. We're so vulnerable to this, so vulnerable to this. Keep yourselves from idols. You've found the treasure, John says, don't look away. You've found the true God, don't move away. Keep yourself for the one who keeps you. Do you see this? Do you see this partnership? Pray to the one who invites you to pray because he hears you. Fight your sin knowing that the Lord Jesus protects you. And keep yourselves for him, the one who keeps you. Live in the light 
of the knowledge that you have eternal life. Live in the light of that. That's how we live life today. So friends, you are to have confidence. If you trust yourself to Jesus, you confess your sin and your need for him, you look to him for what he's done. If you're living a lifestyle of practice where you want to love God in following his commands, if you're ready to give yourself up in love for your brothers and sisters, John wants you to know you can have assurance. These are all evidences that you truly know the truly God, the, the true God. So be confident in that. Have confidence in prayer, for prayer and pray. Have confidence in his protection. Fight your sin. Have confidence in your possession. He possesses you and you him. So keep yourself for him, the one who keeps you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gift of your son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you for the reality that you don't want us to be uh, insecure towards you or always wondering if we know you or have you, but that for your people whom you have called to be your children, you want us to have confidence and assurance that we are yours and you are ours. I pray, Lord, that we would be amazed by your invitation and that we would come and pray and pray boldly and pray for one another and pray according to your will. I pray, Lord, that we would be amazed by your protection of us and that in the light of that protection, we would engage with our sin and fight it so that we could look like you and how we think and how we love and how we act. And Lord, that we would be just so overwhelmed with the beauty that you are ours and we are yours. We have found the true God because he has revealed himself to us and his name is Jesus Lord, keep us from idols. Keep us from looking away. Let you, uh, we want you to be the king of our hearts. Uh, we thank you for making us right with the Father, Lord Jesus, and for uh, giving us the status as children of God. Let us live in the light of that, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. And we invite you to visit us Sunday mornings here at Fountain of Life Fellowship. For more information, visit www.folfcrc.com.